0: Welcome to our Beyond 20 campaign, a celebration of One Joshua Group's 20 years of service excellence. This is a One Joshua Group production, providing access to information and experts to help improve quality of life and health outcomes.
1: Thank you for joining us uh, in our celebration of our Beyond 20 campaign for the anniversary. And we are so excited to have with us Dr. Kathleen Kennedy. And Dr. Kennedy is dean of the College of Pharmacy at the Xavier University of Louisiana. Um, Dr. Kennedy, thank you for joining
0: us. Oh, thank you for inviting me to participate.
1: So we have to let you know that Dr. Kennedy and Xavier University of Louisiana's College of Pharmacy, the Center of Minority Health Disparities Research and Education, is one of our longest clients, our longest consistent client. And we are so grateful for the support of Dr. Kennedy and Xavier and their team. And again, just to thank her for all of the excellence that she brings to the programming that we're responsible for producing. And most of all, for the information that's put into the greater knowledge base. So again, Dr. Kennedy, thank you so very much for Xavier and for the College of Pharmacy and for those things that you contribute generally as Dr. Kennedy and Dean of the College of Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So we had an interesting conversation recently, Dr. Kennedy, and we're going to pose that to you. Um, There's Some people were unclear about what pharmacists did and they told us where well, they work in this pharmacy and that pharmacy and that's what they did. So can you expand on the role of pharmacists so that people really understand what pharmacists do?
0: So pharmacists have a um the knowledge and the training, the skills to do so much as relates to healthcare. Uh, in particular, there's um uh, extensive training on Um, community engagement, um, interacting with patients, um, monitoring drug therapy, counseling patients, uh, pharmacology, all of the the aspects of medication therapy management. And um, pharmacists train in an interdisciplinary uh, way with physicians, nurses, um, other healthcare providers so that they are really an integral part of the healthcare team. So as such, they can um, provide advice. They can make recommendations about drug therapy. Um, Many times the the physicians will turn to the pharmacist and ask, what do you think is the best medication for this patient? So pharmacists are, as I said, part of the healthcare team in the hospital setting, in ambulatory care settings. And uh, we always tell our students there's a broad um, area as far as career opportunities in pharmacy um I was recently speaking about one of our graduates who just retired uh from the veterinary um program at l s u so a veterinary pharmacist we have pharmacists who work in industry uh when we think about drug development um some of those individuals are pharmacists who are working there um so you know just just um a broad area, career opportunities, mm-hmm. um, nuclear pharmacy, and of course, the community pharmacy practice, either in independent pharmacies or in chain pharmacies. So, um, you know, there are just many ways that pharmacists mm-hmm. can interact with other healthcare providers to be an expert as it relates to drug therapy.
1: And Dr. Kennedy, it's, it's interesting as you mentioned that is- all of those people who are pet owners, as many times as they go to that vet, they never think about the fact that a pharmacist is involved in their, in, in their pet. So just thank you for bringing uh, that again to the light of those people who are paying attention. Why do you think well, it's important that patients get to know their pharmacist?
0: Well, I think that, you know, pharmacists many times are the last um, person who interacts with a patient before they actually start taking their medications. And and we know that many times and studies have shown that um, patients go to their physician or to their provider, nurse practitioner or PA, and they get instructions and then they leave unclear about what they're supposed to do. And so that pharmacist is the one who can uh, clarify or interact with that patient to make sure that they understand how to take the medicine Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just be that the person who is going to ensure that um, they're doing the right thing to improve their health.
1: Yeah, that's critically important. You talked about the importance of the pharmacist in bridging their care between Mm -hmm. whatever the discipline is for the physician and You know, we've all encountered that. I was in uh, the pharmacy the other day and the doctor had written a prescription for the patient. She came to the pharmacy to get her prescription and Mm -hmm. they filled the prescription for it. So it was interesting Mm -hmm. because the technician was giving her the prescription and her comment was, well, I want to see the pharmacist because (laughs) I need to know whether or not I need to take this medication. Now, I'm not going to tell you the ending to that story but it was very important. I will tell you that the patient walked away without the prescriptions. So that's an important part of knowing uh, the pharmacist having a relationship um, with the patient. And the other part, you mentioned community pharmacists and many of these pharmacists are in the communities where patients live, or particularly those people who use the pharmacy. How important is the pharmacist and cultural care of, of patients and their needs?
0: well again um i think that uh the pharmacist can relate to the patient especially if they are from that area in the the environment they're familiar with that that community and what patients uh believe and you know that some of their health beliefs often uh may influence whether or not they decide to take their medications you know it's one thing for a physician to uh prescribe it for you to get it filled, but then if you don't take it, and if you're Mm -hmm. not taking it as um, prescribed, that is a problem. So many times the pharmacists can relate to that individual person. One of the things that we um, train our students on is um, being able to communicate um, in a um, culturally sensitive way to patients so that um, they, they feel like they're being heard and that you are trying to um, help them improve their health. We want them to um, advocate for themselves, so that they can, um, you know, do better and have better health outcomes. So we hear
1: about um, innovations in healthcare generally. Can you share with us some of those kind, some of the innovations that are taking place in the pharmacy delivery of care for patients?
0: Well, I'm not sure. It, it you know, it depends on where you're practicing, whether it's innovative or not. But um, more and more of our graduates are going into um, practice where they are involved in a, say, an ambulatory care setting. Um, many times, they they can see patients themselves. So that, um, for example, if you have a chronic disease, uh, hypertension, um, you know, diabetes. There's really no reason that you must see a physician every time. Uh, The pharmacist can uh, monitor your care, um, especially um, on a a regular basis, under, of course, the the supervision of a physician. So they're working in uh, collaborative practice uh, settings. So that's really um, where we're going with that, Uh, as well as um, pharmacists can help when we look at the need for more minorities in particular in clinical trials, the pharmacist can be that that voice to know that you have a chronic disease and maybe there's some study that's um, taking place and you might benefit from that or others may benefit from it. So, you know, so that would be where pharmacists uh, come in. Mm
1: -hmm. In, And
0: in our case, community engagement, again, to make sure that we're working in a bi-directional way with the community, finding out what their needs are and um, interacting with them so that they feel like they're partners with us trying to impact um, their health outcomes. Mm -hmm. So community engagement is an area that is really growing and more and more of our, um, our pharmacy graduates, our students are involved in the community because that's that's really the place where you get to understand uh, what the needs are of the patients. And, you know, you can make, um, help them make decisions that are going to improve their health. And I guess the last is um, health informatics. Uh, there's so much data that's available on how patients respond to different uh, conditions. And so just to, to have that information and to be able to use that, in helping to make decisions about care uh, is another another way. Digital health. Uh, We recently established a telehealth center here. And again, a telehealth center uh, can be useful in a number of ways. But one of the things that we do is to contact patients to talk to them about their medication, to do what we call um, therapeutic management uh, discussions with the patients about How are they taking medicine? So, again, if you have a chronic disease, that's someone who you can um, talk to about um, making sure that they are consistent with their care.
1: So I think you've probably read some of my notes, and we're going to come back to some of these questions. How does one become dean of a college of pharmacy. You've talked about training. So could we talk about the training of pharmacists and then the reputation that Xavier University has for training pharmacists and other deliver- and other professions within healthcare. So tell us about how you got to be Dean. That I'd like to hear
0: about. Well, that. you know, first of all, the uh, pharmacy uh, programs now are Um, six years for the most part, there are some accelerated programs that you can um, finish in uh, five years. But um, to have an academic position, most institutions require that you complete a postgraduate um, training program. We call it a residency. So the first year is a general uh, practice. So it's just general uh, clinical skills building. And then um, Many uh, people select to do a second um, postgraduate training year, which is more specific for a certain disease state that you want to uh, be an expert in. So if it's cardiovascular disease or renal disease, et cetera. Um, there are also fellowship programs. So once you get your degree, you can do a fellowship where again, you might be working in industry and those are usually two years. In, in my case, I did a, um, I completed my training at University of California, San Francisco and I did a residency. And then I came to Xavier as a clinical pharmacy faculty member, where I practiced for a number of years, at, um, primarily at the VA um, Medical Center here in New Orleans. And then the opportunity um, came for us to start a clinical training program at um, Charity Hospital, which at the time was, I think, the third largest hospital in the country, we had over a thousand beds. And Charity Hospital really um, the patients were those from underserved communities, people who really could not afford to go to, you know, the bigger um, private institutions. It was it's um it was a state run hospital and And there, um, I had the opportunity to really begin a clinical pharmacy program, so I was the only one for a number of years providing services to all the the physicians and uh, nurses that there with um, uh, educational sessions, uh, working with patients, et cetera. As we built that program, then um, the the uh, director of pharmacy left and recommended me um, as the the new director of that program. So I had the opportunity to get training in hospital administration, hospital pharmacy, and I had, there were uh, 900, uh, there were um, 90 uh, employees that worked in that uh, department. So during that time, I took some leadership uh, courses because uh, in your training in pharmacy, you get some basic um hospital pharmacy administration, but nothing to the size of what mm-hmm. you know charity was. So I did some some uh leadership training for hospital pharmacy management. And then um, I actually uh, was recruited away to go to industry and I worked in pharmaceutical uh industry as a, a medical science liaison for uh, about eight years. And, but I loved uh, academia, and so when the opportunity uh, was uh, available for me to come back to Xavier, I came back as an associate dean and served in that capacity for a few years until um, I had an opportunity to apply uh, when they did a national search for the dean's position. So mm-hmm. that's that's what happened. In, in the dean's position, um, you know, or actually before I became dean, I did some other training at Harvard. I did the Harvard Management Development Program, as well as the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy has a fellowship program, again, for developing leaders in academia. And so I participated in both of those programs as well.
1: So um, you mentioned the University of San Francisco. Congratulations on your recent acknowledgement and and honor there. You also talked about an area that many people are not familiar with, and that's in the hospital. Now, Dr. Kennedy, I don't know where people think they get their meds in the hospital. I guess (laughs) they think they all just come from the nurse's station, but um, they do from the clinical pharmacist. Um, So we appreciate those pharmacists in the hospital to make sure that we're getting the appropriate um, dosages and medications that we need. Now, also in the College of Pharmacy, you helped to establish, I think, Um, a center that looked at minority health. Can you share something with us about that and what's happening in that center now?
0: So, um, you know, when I came back uh, to Xavier, uh, we had an opportunity to uh, really focus the research and think about um, the future of what we wanted to do here in the college as we've established our, our mission uh, which really is supportive of the mission of the university to create a more just and humane society. And so we wanted to focus on uh, the health disparities that that really um, in pharmacy school wasn't necessarily talked about a lot, um, but it's something that I thought was important here. And so we looked at the research that was being done and talked about how we could Uh, Develop future leaders doing research in eliminating health disparities, and so we were successful in submitting a grant uh, that was funded to help us in all of those areas. um, You know, with uh, research, training, Mm -hmm. um, education, etc. And so, since then, I mean, it has actually we have so much work that we're doing now, um, primarily in. Community engagement, because I think people realize how you're going to make a difference. If you don't engage the community, you're not going to change anything. I mean, we can look at all the research, and we, of course, um, in particular here, uh, have a lot of individuals doing cancer research, so we can understand what causes it and um, you know treatments. But if you don't move past the bench to the community, again, you're not going to make um, any uh, any real changes mm-hmm. in health outcomes and so we focused uh, from the beginning on the chronic diseases that I mentioned before that we know we can impact uh, particularly diabetes. That was one of our biggest areas because of the numbers of people who um, have amputations, have um, renal failure. Uh, go blind, all of those things that are caused by not treating um, diabetes um, effectively early on, in, mm-hmm. in particular in um, African-American communities. We saw the disparities that exist. And so we have clinical faculty who were positioned in uh, clinics, in the, the uh, clinics in uh, the poorest areas of our city, uh, who would help to monitor those patients and to try to improve their their outcomes, their A1Cs, to get them better control? So that's really where where it started with us with um, diabetes and hypertension, as well as those individuals who are doing the bench research mm-hmm. research in cancer. Then after Katrina, we had the city saw an increase in asthma because of the all of the um, devastation. Uh, here. And so we focused on um, pulmonary diseases in particular in children in the city. But now since then, we have been quite successful in getting funding to look at um, just a number of uh, conditions. We were involved with the COVID um, vaccine uh, hesitancy, as well as before that, the testing. Um, And We continue to do work in a number of areas, even now beginning to work in um, the end the HIV um, epidemic Mm -hmm. uh, areas. So we're working in um, the chronic diseases that I mentioned before with the COVID vaccine hesitancy with um, HIV and uh, continue with cancer. So those are probably the main areas Mm -hmm. that we are working in.
1: So, Dr. Kathleen Kennedy, who is Dean of the College of Pharmacy at Xavier University of Louisiana, has given us a part of the journey, her journey, and including that of the College of Pharmacy at Xavier and also the Center of Minority Health, uh, Minority Health Disparities Research and Education at Xavier. Now, Dr. Kennedy, um, you mentioned your work in COVID um, hesitancy. Do you see immunizations and vaccinations, and we want to use both of those words, do you see their is a disparity in those and how are pharmacists able to address those disparities?
0: So, yes, um, of course, there is the fear. Um, People are reluctant to receive the vaccines and and early on, because of all the research, the clinical research where um, African-Americans were not treated fairly. And so when they look at a new, you know, uh, drug or a new vaccine, they're thinking, well, who was in the study? You know, how many African-Americans were in the study? Is it safe? And all of those, those things. And so um, as a uh, college, um, we worked very closely with the communities mm-hmm. to, to educate them. You know, we, we partnered with faith-based organizations and independent pharmacies to, to try to reach the, the people there's still still, um, some concern in Mm -hmm. different communities. As we talk about this new um, booster vaccine that's going to be, that's available, I guess, now. Uh, We have uh, people who are not getting their vaccines. Uh, So many devastating stories about people who have died unnecessarily because they did not believe or did not um, get vaccinated. And so as pharmacists with the uh, federal um, government, uh, the PrEP Act, we were able to take an active part in uh, vaccinating um, individuals Mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, come into the pharmacies. We've had uh, clinics here on campus or we may have a health fair where we go out and provide uh, vaccinations for COVID or, you know, flu vaccines or flu, Mm -hmm. you know, so... So we are involved in all of those uh, types of areas, or we can be uh, if uh, we partner with the other members of the healthcare community to make an impact.
1: So we're hearing more and more about um, pharmacy companies uh, closing uh, pharmacies in neighborhoods. Um, How do you think minority neighborhoods and minority patients are going to be affected by these newly emerging pharmacy deserts?
0: Well, I mean, it's a problem if, you know, we think about a pharmacy being on the corner of, you know, they say it's within five five miles of where you live. And if in those communities, there's no pharmacy, then that creates a problem for just the overall health of those individuals who have to, to drive or to ride the bus or some way uh, get to a pharmacy to get their medication. So, yeah, that, that's a problem. Um, I don't know nationally um, how uh, different communities are impacted by that. But as you see the mergers, you know, we saw uh, Rite, Rite Aid merge with Walgreens and, mm. and other uh, pharmacies like that. Um, it can be a problem. Um, we don't see as many independent pharmacies as we used to see, and so that's another another issue, another concern where again minorities um, African Americans can own their own business to open their pharmacy so so it it is something that we need to be um aware of
1: so you mentioned telehealth earlier. do you believe that this is an opportunity to um, make up for a bridge, some of the closing of those pharmacies? And how does that work? We know going to a physician how telehealth works. How does telehealth work in the pharmacy community?
0: So for us, um, one of the things that I, I think I mentioned before is that it's important for patients to take the medications that they have, um, that have been uh, prescribed and that they've picked up. So if you don't or you're not taking it then you know you um, what what we do in telehealth is to call patients who are um on the list provided by insurance companies um that that um have chronic diseases and so the role of the pharmacist is to review their their medication list and to encourage them educate them about the importance of taking their medication. So mm-hmm. for us, that's what we mean by telehealth, mm-hmm. that you, know, you have someone who is actually interacting with individuals based on their chronic condition and the medicines that have been prescribed.
1: Um, what about the cost of medication? How, how are pharmacists and how can we better engage in access, which is a disparity. Utilization is one as well, but how can we, what do you recommend about addressing cost for medication?
0: You know, that's, that's really a tough one, um, uh, because, um, there are not many solutions to the cost. Some companies have, you know, uh, coupons or, you know, other means of providing uh, the resources, but that that really is a very difficult one. And uh, I know that the current administration is advocating for um, the um, drug companies to, to provide the same cost that they do for uh, Medicare uh, patients because the government puts a limit on how much you can provide. Uh, for the seniors, but not necessarily on the other individuals. And so if there can be some negotiation where the cost is uh, contained that way, that would be another aspect. When I was at charity, we had a person who actually interacted with the, the pharmaceutical companies. If we had a patient who could not afford their medicine, then it was her responsibility to contact the company to to see if they had any patient assistance uh, programs and many of them do you just have to know how to navigate that that system and so many you know independent pharmacies uh, don't have the resource they don't have a person to be dedicated to Mm -hmm. um, providing you know finding out about patient assistance programs so it it really is a challenge and um I think it's going to probably take some legislation um, to to decrease the cost of medicines.
1: So, Doctor Kennedy, I'm talking to middle school students. What do I need to do as a medical, a middle school student, to become a
0: pharmacist? So, you know, we have um, partnerships with schools. As a matter of fact, our first year students go out and. Um, Interact with students in there in middle school um, to talk about nutrition, so that's an exposure to the profession. So they see, oh okay, these these pharmacy students or pharmacists can can do things other than you know fill prescriptions. But as a student, you need to um, be um, dedicated to your studies to make sure that you are getting the best grades that you can. Um, you, I would look at summer programs at institutions if you you know are interested in science. Uh, there, are, there are programs at many schools, we have them here in Xavier, that provide an exposure to um, pharmacy as a, a health career during the summer. And you could spend uh, a month learning more about uh, pharmacy as a profession. And then as you get up to, you know, as again, high school, uh, those, those opportunities are still there. One thing that you might want to do is to talk to someone who is a pharmacist. Um, if you told uh, the, your local pharmacy pharmacist that you were interested in their career, um, sit down and talk with them about what, what it's like, you know, what did you have to do to get to where you are? So those are the things that I think as a young person, um, you know, you could do to learn more about the career. So many people only know about the pharmacist who is in that store filling prescriptions. But as I said, you know, think about, you know, nuclear pharmacy. When you go in to have some kind of test done, um, they're injecting dye or, or some chemical to examine your body. There was a pharmacist who prepared that. Um, So, you know, there are just so many career opportunities that you could have. And I think exposing people to those career opportunities early would make them, you know, their eyes open to, you know, the possibilities.
1: So um, what makes you love your job?
0: Well, I I like seeing the students who are successful. I mean, we have so many who are working all across the country in different areas. And to hear that um, someone is the director of their residency program now who came here. Um, I I got an email from someone who's applying to be the chair of their department um, at an uh, institution and wanting a reference. And um, just you know, I have um, one of our graduates is the only licensed um, marijuana dispensary pharmacy. Has two here in the city. Um, the uh, New Orleans, the Pharmacy Museum that's in the in the French Quarter, is the first licensed pharmacy in the country. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, they had uh, the opening of the African American Museum component, looking at all the African Americans who. Um, who had pharmacies here in the city, they did not have the opportunity to work in other places. And so they started their own. So it really is exciting for me to see the success of the students. Um, You know, I like to to go around and, of course, brag on the fact that they have really good jobs. They've done well. And I think that's that's the important thing that we are producing the next generation of of people who are sensitive to the fact that there are disparities and that they can make a difference by interacting with patients in the community. So that's why I'm I'm still here.
1: So we are approaching the 17th Xavier University of Louisiana's College of Pharmacy's health disparities conference in April of 2024. Let me right. repeat that. That's April 2024, <laughs> 17th Health Disparities Conference. Why did you find it necessary to start this conference 17, 18 years ago? And what's happened over the last 17 years with this conference?
0: Well, again, I think um, the importance was the fact that there was not, there was really not much training in pharmacy schools about disparities and the role that pharmacists can play in um, health disparities. The whole idea of this uh, interprofessional, interdisciplinary team is is relatively new. Um, All of the health profession schools now require some interaction, but at the time that was not the case. And so uh, when I moved to, to Louisiana, to New Orleans, uh, what we were doing in California, they thought they'd never heard of uh as as pharmacists um, out there, and I remember when I first showed up at the v a they were wondering, well why is this person here?" <laughs> so they really did not have the experience of working um as a partner with pharmacists, and so I thought that it was important to to talk about how we could all work together. To make an impact on improving health, improving health outcomes, and so that was the goal—to to to present to the individuals in this community the role that pharmacists can play in mm. making an impact. And so it started uh, that way, but uh, it was always open to you know policymakers, physicians, nurses, etc. And so over the years, um, what we've seen is that so many people and even young people, students who are still in school, are thinking about the impact that they can make Mm -hmm. as they present their posters, their abstracts about what they're doing in their community. So, you know, it really has sort of triggered in their minds. um, You know, what can I do and what what can be done in our community? And I think that that has been the important part of it. There's so many new things that we hear about uh, each year. I can't even get around to see all of the, the posters and the abstracts of, of what people are doing. And and what we we said early on is that we want you to take what you learned and go back and, and do something in your community. Don't no, just come and sit and listen, but... You know, think about what you can do to make a difference, and so that's why I think it's been very important, and that's why we sort of continue these conferences.
1: Well, this is Dr. Kathleen Kennedy. She's dean of the College of Pharmacy at Xavier University of Louisiana. Um, She's not only dean, but she's an accomplished vocalist as well. Uh, so I want to make sure that we put that in there. Now, Dr. Kennedy, what would your last thoughts be for our viewers to be sure that they remember from this podcast from Kathleen Kennedy?
0: Well, I guess since we're talking about the pharmacist role that, you know, to make an impact on um, moving toward health equity, it takes everyone. Um involvement of all the members of the healthcare team that I hope that everyone remembers that pharmacists can play an important role in that. And if we all work together, I think that we can make a difference.
1: Dr. Kennedy, thank you very much. It's always our pleasure. Um, You've been listening and watching Dr. Kathleen Kennedy. She's vocalist and dean of the College of Pharmacy at Xavier University of Louisiana. Dr. Kennedy, again, thank you so very much for joining us. And of course, we'll be seeing you. For each of you who are viewing our podcast, remember, this is an opportunity to learn how people contribute to social justice, to improving health outcomes, but most of all, to improving the quality of life. Dr. Kennedy has given us a lot of information for us to think about, some information that's new for us, and other opportunities where we can share with younger people for pro- uh, younger people about very uh, interesting, lucrative, and important professions. Again, thank you very much Dr. Kennedy, and we'll get to see you again and thank you for joining us and look forward to our future podcast.
0: This edition of Beyond 20 Is a life beat podcast sponsored by One Joshua Group, your strategic source of engagement to improve life through better health, education, and information. For more information, visit us at theonejoshuagroup.com or follow our work on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using hashtag OneJGCollabs. One Joshua Group. Building capacity, expanding resources, joining what you know with what we've learned.